0: Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm in art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Welcome back to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo. This is where I talk with multifamily real estate investors and dive into their own sound investments. This week, we are bringing back the one and only Anthony Vecino. If you want to hear about his story and his journey and how he got started into multifamily real estate, this is not the episode you should be listening to. Tune into last week's episode because today we are gonna be talking about actionable steps that I can take on whether I have zero or little money, or if I have a lot of money sitting in my closet over there. So first things first, let's, well, one, welcome back, Anthony. It's, it's. Hey, it's thanks for having me. Yeah. I know we're wearing the same clothes again. <laughs> I <laughs> literally didn't change yeah, since yeah. the last time. So. Yep, no, yeah. No, I don't change every, every week, every week. Once <laughs> it's just, it's just one outfit a week and that's it. That's uh, smart. That's, you know, that's uh, decreasing
1: the, the amount of decision fatigue that you experience on any given day. Steve Jobs did it, right? It's like why he wears why he only wore like his turtleneck, right? Like he didn't want to have to think about every day. What am I going to wear? He's like, that's a decision I don't have to make if I wear the same thing every day.
0: Boom. Mm, Yep. And I just, I just sit in my muskiness of, of, of the same shirt that I've had. Dan, this is, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a strong, that was a strong, strong start, strong start. We'll see if I cut that out or not. Uh, but anyways, I say, I say,
1: leave it. I say, leave it. People, people like that color. They like that. They like seeing behind the scenes and knowing that you're real people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then now they're just envisioning me and the same shirt where it just has all musky my old Taylor, musky old Taylor with my Oakland A's hat and young lion shirt. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> anyways, anyways, Thanks for coming back, Anthony. Now we're just going to go right into it. Let's just say I have a bunch of money waiting in the bank. I have a bunch of retirement funds and I want to be an active investor. How would you suggest I get started? Okay, so let's let's first break that
1: down even further because we have to understand your desired end state. Too many people just start doing a thing because they're like, I want to be an active investor. People tell me this is a good idea, hmm. but I can't give any advice until I understand where it is you're trying to go. So where do you want to be in five, 10, 15, 20 years? Like what's, why real estate?
0: Let's say I want to quit my job and I realize that, you know, it's, my four I I need to I need to figure out how to make generational wealth and, and live off of a nice retirement and create passive income. Right. I I know that my job isn't gonna be paying enough. Um it's not gonna be enough to support my kids, especially living in the Bay Area. So in the end, I want to do this full time and and take matters into my own hands and become an act a, a full-time active investor to where I don't have to rely on my job.
1: Okay, and you live in the Bay Area right now, and so you're looking to invest maybe in the city,
0: or you're looking to re- invest remotely. Now, I am looking to let's let's say I'm looking to invest remotely. I know a lot of people like to invest in this in the city, but uh, I I just know that. Well, I, yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, really, I mean, no, I mean it's not a great question. <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky, right? Well, I mean, the, the reason why I, I wanted to invest out of the city is just because, well, I'm, I feel like I'm just going to have to, I'm not going to be able to acquire enough for retirement just because a lot of it's going to be going to the house payments. And the cost of living here is just way more expensive than let's say mm-hmm. other places. Uh, and so as an active investor, I want to invest remote because I want additional streams of income that I can't necessarily get here, it's a, it's a lot harder to get here in the Bay area.
1: And, do you, and you, you plan on staying in the Bay area. You're not going to move somewhere. You're like, I'm staying here. We're investing somewhere else. So that kind of limits the different types of roles that we could take or the different types of assets that we could potentially look at. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I guess what's your, your current set? Like mm-hmm. what, what's your, what's your current W2? What's your current job? What, what have you done in the past that makes you think that you'd be good in real estate?
0: That's a, that's a great question. Okay. So I, you know, I was in construction, I was building restaurants. And so I have a construction background and I will now I am now recruiting and it's allowing me to own my time a little bit more and take meetings in the morning before work and then take meetings after work, just because when I was in construction, it was, I was often working like fourteen hours a day, sixteen hours a day, where I really couldn't focus on it. So I think I could leverage my construction backgrounds and then also just the time freedom that I have now to to put towards real estate.
1: Okay. So on the construction side, it's gonna it's it's difficult to invest remotely with a construction background because ideally you're gonna want to be boots on the ground, maybe a GC overseeing the project in some way. Right. So That can be really tricky. And so, you know, when we're looking at investing remotely, where you're not going to be the person who's actively overseeing the portfolio, let's say, then you're going to need to have partnerships. That's step one. You got to have some partners with boots on the ground. You got to find people who are present in the market Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to find the people who are going to actually operate the deal for you. So you can bring some of your construction background as you're vetting property management teams and whatnot, but that's going to be step one. And so- you can, you can look at this a couple of different ways. You could do like a turnkey style investment where you go and buy a single family home. That's been all renovated from a turnkey company. They do all the work and all the management. I'm not a big fan of that because honestly, for the returns that you're generating for the amount of risks that you're taking on and risks in the sense of like the unknown variables of the company that you're working with and the market that you're not familiar with, I don't think it's worth it. I think there's better ways to invest. And for me I'm a big multifamily guy. So apartment buildings and joint ventures syndications for me are the way to, to maximize that. So that's where I would be personally looking. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be just multifamily. It could also be, you know, retailer or office or storage or mobile home parks. There's all these different asset classes. So, Step 2 might be once you kind of audit yourself and what your investing parameters are of okay what are my skill sets what do I bring to the table and now what am I looking for in an investment vehicle am I looking for cash flow am I looking for appreciation tax benefits like what's the ratio because real estate investments can give you all of that but they give it to you in slightly different ratios so let's say storage units can be very high cash flow but not a ton of appreciation Hmm. Mobile home parks again, they can have a lot of cash flow, not a ton of appreciation generally. You look at industrial and mobile home, or I'm sorry, uh, multifamily, and then you might start be looking at things that have good cash flow and appreciation. So, like that's one question to ask just right off the bat. Like it sounds like you want to supplement your W-2 income. So the idea of appreciation isn't as big of a deal for you. If you have a ton of money to go to work right now. Then you need to find assets that are producing the cash flow that you could live off of. So, multifamily could be that avenue, but maybe storage or mobile home parks might actually be a better return if that's hmm. all you want is the cash flow. If you want big appreciation, because you're young and you want you really want to double your money or like quadruple your money in a short period of time, then maybe you're gonna look at like development deals. And those are gonna be very, very different things. For you, if you're coming from a construction background, development deal might make a lot of sense because you have that background of evaluating like construction costs and you might have some experience navigating that. So that could be playing into one of your skill sets there. So Once we've identified, like, what are you good at? What are your investment parameters? Now we need to find the market. Like, where are you actually investing? So where are you going to invest, Taylor? Where are you thinking? Twin cities. (laughs) (laughs) I just say twin Ah, cities. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, the twin twin cities. So, like, But, you know, the question isn't so much about which particular city are you going to invest in, but like, what are the parameters that you're looking for in an investable city? One of the great things about being a remote investor is that you don't have to lock yourself into one city. Or even one asset type. You could you could stretch and like get into multiple assets and multiple different metros. So you want to be looking for you know strong economic foundations. So that's step number what is that three? Uh, I, I'm five. kind of making these steps up off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> now that once once we have like our market, once we understand our skill set. We understand our investment parameters, what types of assets and return metrics we are interested in. And then once we look at the markets, now we need to find our partners on the ground. We need to find the people that we're going to work with to to complement and offset our weaknesses. So if you're really good at recruiting, well, recruiting lends itself well maybe to being a capital raiser. And you can work with other people to like raise capital because maybe you're good at educating or you're just good at talking to people. Recruiting can also be really good uh, skill set to have if you're on the acquisition team and you're just cold calling owners and trying to find off-market deals. And so as you're thinking, I want to be an active investor, it's not enough just to say that. Like You have to understand what are you good at and what are the roles on the team that you could fulfill and i think too many people just come into real estate investing without that clearly articulated and so for you if you're like you know what those buckets are that need to be picked up and filled on say the general partnership of a syndication or just in the the partnership of a joint venture then you can start finding partners that offset that. So if you come in, you're like, hey, I'm really good at deal finding. I need to find an operations partner who's really good at being on the ground there. So that's a different type of partner than if you're like, I'm going to invest in my backyard. I need to find somebody who's really good at raising money because I don't have that network. So like mm. understand what what's that complementary skill or weakness that you need to fill out on the team. And so once you've done that, then you take your money, you just dump it all into one single
0: investment and you're good to go. <laughs> okay good to know yeah and and so i mean as you as you're speaking too, like i mean i'm not gonna lie like construction was cool but i don't really want to be on the construction side anyways i think i'm definitely with you and it's it's cool to understand and know but at the end of the day like i it's not really something that i'm trying to be so engulfed in and so now i'm definitely trying to gain a little bit more skills especially when it comes to underwriting, capital raising, and then, you know, cold calling when, when I can.
1: And that's an important th- distinction that you point out there. Like if it doesn't spark your soul with joy, then don't do it. Like life is too short to spend it doing things that you're not passionate and enjoying. You know, sometimes you're going to have to do things you don't want to do. Like that's just natural. But it, if you have the choice of structuring your perfect life, then do it with intentionality and say, okay, here's what I like to do in a perfect world, I'm going to find partners who like to do the things that I don't like to do. And that's not like a pie in the sky, you know, demand. Like it's, there's somebody out there who likes doing construction. Find that person. That's, that's the person you want to work with. So how would you recommend finding these people? Phone book. (laughs) Just going through the yellow pages. Is that that still a thing? I don't even know. Like I haven't seen a phone book in forever, but, um, There's blue book. I know blue book
0: for construction. Oh, there you go. Yeah.
1: Uh, it, it all comes down to networking honestly like once you've decided that you want to invest in a particular market it comes down to like going and finding the people who are operating or interested in that market or that have the the complementary skills and so you can do that man the world is just so small these days thanks to social media and the internet like you can get in touch with anybody and so use that ability put yourself out there on social media on linkedin facebook instagram like there's no shortage of operators or partners potential partners out there that are already on those platforms that you could find with just a little bit of due diligence, go find a group and like ask around referrals are probably one of the most powerful ways to get Mm -hmm. connected with a potential partner. Like right now, if you were to say, Hey, Anthony, I think the twin city sucks, but I really want to invest in Atlanta. Do you know anybody? I'd be like, yeah, I know a bunch of people. What in particular are you looking for? You're like, Oh, I'm looking for somebody who's good at construction. Like I got somebody for you. Mm -hmm. And just right there, now you have that in. And so referrals are a really big way. Um, networking events are really powerful. Networking events, though, are hard because if you think back pre-COVID, the only networking events you're going to are going to be local, right? Like you're going to a physical meetup. Nobody was really doing the virtual meetups all that much before COVID, COVID kind of hit. Mm-hmm. And so you're the people that you're going to be exposed to are most likely generally investing in the Bay Area. And so that's not super helpful. Now that's a little bit different conversation because everybody's on Zoom and you can, can have a meeting with anybody and there's a bunch of different meetup groups. So if you're interested in investing in Austin or San Antonio or the Twin Cities, you can come join the Twin Cities, you know, multifamily meetup and then meet a bunch of operators in that city. And so just putting yourself out there and I know that's hard and scary, but at the end of the day, real estate's a we game. It's not a me game. And it's all about the relationships that you build. Your ability to go far in this business is dictated by how well you work with and through other people. So you got to really hone that skill and do it by yourself. Well, you can, but it wouldn't be very good, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Or I don't think it'd be very fun either. That's true too. Talk about stress. Yeah. There's a lot of hats to wear in apartment or like in, in any kind of investing, but specifically apartment investing, because that's what I know best. There's a lot of hats to wear. And if you have to wear all the hats, you look really silly, first of
0: all. And it's really stressful. Now I've I've brought this question up uh in past guests, but uh in terms of would what when I was on bigger pockets, a lot of what people would say is, oh, don't do a mentorship program. Don't try and go for one of these gurus. I mean, they're just trying to take your money. You can just use it for yourself and learn on your own. Uh, would you recommend one of those mentorship programs? Like, what do you see as the the benefits? Like, if I, if I had enough money to do one of those, like, let's say it's like 20,000 or 30,000 or 40,000, uh, would you recommend to try that and go that route?
1: That's a great question. So there's a lot to unpack there. First, if you look at it through like the bigger pockets forum perspective, a lot of people say things like all the information's already out there for free. And they're right. Like you can get the technical knowledge and education that you need out there on YouTube or Google. And but that's true of anything. Like it, there's no need at this point to go to university. There's no no sense in going to get a degree. You can learn everything that you wanted to learn online. Mm -hmm. And so the information's out there, but the problem is one, how do you distill that information into like a linear process that makes sense so that you can actually acquire that information in the minimal amount of time when you're new and you're just out there watching videos on YouTube or reading articles on Google, let's say you don't know yet what questions to ask and it's not structured in a way. And so you're going to be kind of meandering your way through the educational landscape. It's really helpful to have somebody who takes it all, go follow this. This is the straightest path to the top. So it can really accelerate your learning depending on where you're at. That can be very, very valuable. If you look at the time cost of your, you know, the time value of your, your time, then we could say like, what's, what's that worth just to cut down your learning process by say a year or two years. It, it's pretty big. But the thing is, like for me, I'm a big advocate of those educational programs, but not all educational programs are the same. There are plenty of scams. There are plenty of gurus out there that aren't going to teach you anything. And so it's about finding the right one that's right for you. And for me, like I joined a program, but it wasn't because I wanted access to the educational program or the, uh, the information. It wasn't about that. It was a couple of other things. One, you're buying into a network of like-minded people. When you go to a meetup event, very often they're free. And because it's free, there's zero barrier to entry. Anybody can go to it. 80% of the people that you meet, they're first-time investors. They've never done this before. They're just thinking about it. They maybe want a wholesale or a fix and flip. Like They're all over the map. And so the quality of relationships that you're likely to form at just your local meetup group, it's very low. It's very, very low. But -hmm. if you join a group where everybody you know has paid $20,000 to be in the group, they're vetted that that group is of a higher caliber. It's a hotter lead. And that's filled with potential partners, just people in general who are further along in the game. And that's very, very valuable. The other thing, and this one cannot be underestimated. And I think it's one that far too few people take into consideration when they're really trying to weigh the cost of investing in one of these educational programs is... There's, there's the story of Caesar or, you know, some general who he takes his troops into battle. They land their boats, they get out on the beach and they sees that his troops are uneasy about the coming battle because they're vastly outnumbered 10 to one, like, Oh God, we're going to die. And as long as those boats are there as a means for retreat, nobody is going to fight like their back is against a wall because their back's not really against a wall. They could always just float away, get on the boat and leave. Right. So Caesar will go and he'll burn the boats. And now there is no retreat. The only way out is forward. You either fight and win or you fight and die. Those are the only options. And so when you put skin in the game, when you put your back against that wall and you put something up there to potentially lose, you take the thing that you're doing that much more seriously. If you put $20,000 into an educational program, it's not a guarantee that you're going to
0: do the work, but it's far more likely than if I gave it all to you for free. Now switching gears then let's say I didn't have $20,000 to invest in uh, an educational course. And even to, even I didn't have $50,000 even to put it into a property. Let's say I had Mm -hmm. like little, like $7,000 or 5,000, even like a thousand bucks, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Just something very little. What would, and and I'm in the same situation where I want to learn and be on the active side and be a part of a general partner, a general partnership. And let's say I want to get into syndications. What would you recommend for me to do then? Well, if you want to be an apartment investor,
1: having a little bit of money is helpful. You know, people don't really talk about that a lot. They'll talk about the value of partnerships and like, you just come into it. like, you can be the deal finder, or you could, you know, do all these other aspects of it. And that's true. Like if you find the deal and you bring it to the team, like you can get on the general partnership, but that can be very difficult if you have no money to begin with, like, you don't, you don't really see that too much. Generally, you have to have a a little bit of money before you can really get your foot in the door. And Mm -hmm. so if you only have like a thousand dollars, you're probably, unless you're really good at the cold calling and like these other aspects that don't really take any money, like you can just invest your time and churn up the deal and find those partnerships. Like you can definitely do that. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, that's that's a path. It's viable, but it's a hard path. It gets easier when you have a little bit of money. And I would say, if you've never invested before, you should probably not jump straight into apartment syndication. Unless you're working with a perfect team to offset all your weaknesses and you're coming in in a very particular capacity, let's say as the deal finder, like I just keep harping on that one because that can be a really good one. Like or maybe even a capital raiser, like it can be very difficult to know what you don't know. And so for me, I started with the triplex, and I only had I only put seventy five hundred dollars into that. And so that was a very easy first step. Now, if you're living in the Bay Area, that's maybe not going to go quite as far. So you're a little bit more limited. Mm-hmm. But I would say you find those opportunities to add value to the operators. If your back is against the wall and you're like, I only got a thousand dollars. That's all I got. I I got to do something like find ways to add extreme value to somebody and and endear yourself to them so that they want to work with you. And you're going to have to make up that lack of money with extreme hustle. Because at the end of the day, there's only three things a deal needs, the time, the the money, and the education or the knowledge or the experience. If you don't have the experience because you're new and you don't have the capital, then you need to bring a lot of time and find those areas where you can just make up for your lack of experience or lack of money
0: with just pure hustle. Now, when we're talking about pure hustle, pure hustle in what way? Like, could it, could it be like, uh, when it, when it comes to adding value, could it be like, Hey, fixing up your website, editing podcasts and creating all these Instagrammable clips or right, like, what do you mean by hustle? Like what are I'd like to break that down. Yeah, that's a good question. It can mean a lot of things, honestly, I would say. <laughs> and, and there's
1: no wrong answer, right? Because you, you don't know necessarily which thing that you're going to do is going to pay the biggest dividends in the end. And so mm-hmm. that could be like, to your point, maybe it's offering to edit podcasts for uh, a podcast that you already listen to or the hosts, are people that you want to work with, you want to, you know, be on their radar. And so you're finding a way to add value to their life with the hopes that you can, gain some of their knowledge their experience, or maybe just be inside their sphere of influence. So maybe they find a deal, they bring you in on it. Like there's some opportunity to work there. That's one way. But the problem with doing those transactional things is that they don't necessarily equate to equity in a deal. And so you come and edit podcasts. that's great, but I could hire that out on Fiverr for $15 an hour. So like, don't get it twisted that what you're doing has more value than what it really does at the end of the day and thinking like, oh, I edited all these podcasts, therefore I should get part of the equity on this next deal. No, like look at it as I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning on the job. I'm getting compensated for it at the same time. So that's cool. Or maybe you're not getting compensated um, and you're just doing it out of the, the goodness of your heart. But the, I think the hustle that's gonna pay the biggest dividends is where you can bring actual tangible value to the person on the other side. And for most real estate investors, that is we need to get deals done if we get deals done, if we put more assets into the portfolio, then we have more cash flow coming in. We have more appreciation happening. And that's, that's what's really at the end of the day, important. And the two things that really hold up a deal is deal flow. Like if we don't have deals, we have nothing to close. And if we have no capital, then it doesn't matter how many deals we have. We can't close them. We have to create a system where the deal flow and the cash flow or the capital flow are equal. And so that, as deals are coming, we have the ability to close them. And so neither of those two jobs requires money, right? Like you can go be a capital raiser right now. You can just go to your buddies, your friends, your family and say, hey, do you want to invest in this deal? So that's one way that you can get involved with very little money or finding the deals. And both of those things you can hustle unlimitedly towards, right? Like right now you're making a podcast, which theoretically, if you ever wanted to leverage into raising passive cash, then you could. Right. And so this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about hustle, like not necessarily going out and building somebody's website for them. That's a great way of building the relationship and networking with them, but it's not going to necessarily get you in on a deal. So kind of bucket those two things and say, Mm okay, am I, am I working on things that are actually going to lead to a transaction? Or am I leading to things that are going to lead to relationships, which pay really long-term
0: dividends? So it just depends on what kind of time frame you're trying to deal on. Interesting. The the transaction versus of the long term dividend um, is something that I, I didn't really think about.
1: Yeah, and yeah. You, gotta, you gotta you gotta balance that because you know you gotta eat. And so if all you're doing is pouring into long term dividend relationships, <laughs> you might starve. <laughs> right like so you got to do some transactions but if all you're doing is you know just transactions and just keeping your eyes so hard on that and you're not really thinking about the long term then you're going to burn out a lot of relationships and you're going to find yourself in a 2 or 3 or 5 or 10 year window you know in kind of a barren landscape because you were the the hungry hungry hippo that
0: just went and ate everything <laughs> <laughs> What an analogy. Um, yeah, I don't even know if that one works. But, yeah, go but, it. <laughs> but it works. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounded right. It sounded right. Now, just one quick last question that, that I have, right? Because when, when we talk about deal finding, when we talk about being a capital raiser, let's say this person has no experience. Like, let's say let's use me, for example. I have zero experience in, in raising capital, zero experience in finding a deal. Uh, when I'm talking to brokers and even people and asking them, for large chunks of their money mm-hmm. um, how would you help establish that credibility from my perspective? Would you try and leverage the partners or would you, uh, mm. that you possibly could be working with or would you try and just sell people on your story?
1: Yeah so our approach is they're different. They're, there's two different customers that you're dealing with there. One is potential investors, the other is like brokers, partners and whatnot in an area. Right. And so on the investor side, our approach has always been, we're farmers, we're not hunters. So we're out there planting seeds, we're cultivating relationships and we're watering them and we're creating this thing. And then at the end of it, you know, our goal is for people to be attracted and come and see what we're building and go, Oh, I want, I want some of that too. So it's kind of like being a farmer and being a fisherman. So you, you put your, your bait out there and then people come and eat the bait. But I don't want to be a hunter. I don't want to be out there with a spear actually chasing down the woolly mammoth. Like, because that requires you to constantly be hunting people. And I think that's what people make the mistake of doing in this business quite a bit is like they see, they see me and they're like, hmm, I'm gonna get some money out of that guy. And then they're just trying to sell me, sell me, sell me. (laughs) Uh When like the the more effective approach for us at least is like put out educational content, put out value into the universe that then people are attracted to you. And so you're not Mm. going out there and raising money, you're attracting money. So that's one way to think about that. So build your platform, build your podcast, put out blogs, write a book, like put out social media posts that add value to people's lives. And they go, oh, okay, I like this guy. I want to work with this guy. On the other side, on the brokers, you got to be a bit more of a hunter. And the only way to get good at hunting is to go out there and hunt, right? Like you got to go out there with the bow and arrow and learn how to shoot the bow and arrow but you got to be careful because you only really get one chance to make a good first impression. So you don't want to go as a complete newbie into a market with partners or brokers that you really want to invest in and then blow it because you didn't know what you're talking about. Didn't do your due diligence or your homework. Mm -hmm. And so, Hey guys, listen, there's, there's a lot of markets out there in the world that you can practice on before you go to the legit markets. So go get the experiment experience, talking to brokers and like, backwater wherever, and have those conversations, practice your pitch, cold call people out in the boondocks that you have no intention of actually buying the property. If you're not good at those things, hone your skills first, like is skills never go out of style. So, so work on that first. And then when you're ready, once you feel like, Hey, I'm getting good reception when I'm talking to these brokers, when I'm talking to these owners and these other places, maybe now it's time to take those skills up to the major leagues.
0: Now, one thing when, when we, when I was talking with brokers and, and trying to gain that experience, one thing that I felt is like, oh, I didn't really want to waste like broker's times in like these mm. boony markets. And what would you say about that? If I'm like kind of self-conscious about wasting their time, just kind of like, oh, sorry. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, unless, are you going to pay them? Are you
1: going to pay them for their time? No, that's true. Are you going to pay anybody for, for that? No. So you're going to waste somebody's time because y- y- you can't get good. Unless you put in the reps, right? Like you're, you're not going to go to the basketball hoop in the park. And let's, let's take this analogy. Let's I'm really bad at basketball. If I wanted to get good at basketball, I'm going to go every night at 5 PM to my local basketball court. And I'm going to play basketball and I'm not going to apologize if I'm there at five and then a crew rolls in at 5:30 and they're really good. But hey, I'm on the court, I was there, I'm practicing. doesn't matter that I suck, I'm there. And it, yeah, it's a bummer for you that it's gonna cost you your time here, but I'm here practicing right now. Mm. Just because like, I'm not very good at it doesn't entitle you to take it from me, right? Mm. And so what that means is like, somebody's gotta have the basketball court and somebody's gotta have the broker's attention. If they're giving it to you, then use it. Like take, take full advantage of that because at the end of the day, brokers are really good at sniffing out people who are wasting their time. So if you're using their time and you're probably getting good at your skill, it's probably getting near to that time when you should probably move up to your actual market. But initially, you're going to have a hard time actually getting that traction. So I wouldn't feel too bad about it because you're probably going to get a lot more doors shut in your face so that when you finally do get somebody to talk to you, you're just going to be so excited about it that you don't care.
0: Yeah, no, I've definitely had a lot of uh, doors shut in my face and and especially in cult calling owners too. Like this Mm is one guy tried to try to sue me and it wasn't, uh, wasn't the, (laughs) (laughs) wasn't fun. (laughs) Yeah. People, people
1: can be a little bit crazy. I think everybody should work in the service industry once everybody should work in a sales job once because you, you need to see people all across the spectrum of like
0: craziness. Yeah. It toughens you. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Well. Thank you so much for, for coming in today. I think that's, that's enough little golden nuggets that, that I can work with and my audience can work with too. So I appreciate you, Anthony, for coming back. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they get a hold of you again? Yeah, com, or
1: check out the podcast at Multifamily Investing Made Simple.
0: Definitely go listen to the podcast, visit the website, reach out to Anthony and Dan. Great, great guys. Honestly, thank you so much for, for coming on to the show. Uh, and I can't wait for this episode to come out and even just like create all these Instagram <laughs> clips. So, yeah, thank you so much and have a good one, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.